Welcome to the Ruchi Strengthcast. Dan and Paul are the owners of one of the largest powerlifting gyms in the world, Ruchi's Gym, and are experienced powerlifting coaches. Join them as they discuss and debate all things powerlifting and strength training with some fun stuff thrown in. For more information, visit ruchisgym.com. Good morning, Paulie. Good morning, Dan. Good morning, everyone listening today to this uh, podcast this week. Yep. Good morning to uh, all of our listeners. Um, look, I guess before we sort of get into the nuts and bolts of what we're going to be discussing today, which is um, powerlifting for personal trainers, um, maybe let's talk about what's happened over the last week, Paul, here in the gym and sort of in the world of powerlifting. Um, we had the West Side versus the World movie here oh, last week. Yep. Um, at the cinema. We had, we had about, about 40, 40 to 50, 50 people snap. come. <laughs> yeah, it was really good. It's so good in the cinema. It was amazing. The final edit is awesome. Yeah. The sound has been fixed. Um, some scenes have been taken out. It's and just some little things that he's included, like he's included the animations and, yeah. and all that type of thing, which really sort of rounded it out and just sort of filled, filled it out and made it feel complete. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it was real good, really. Yeah. I thought it was really good. Yeah. It is now available on iTunes, so it is available f- to everyone in the world now to be able to download it and watch it. It has gone out to all the Kickstart backers, so if you were in the Kickstart backers group, then you would have already received your digital download. Uh, I'm sure many, many people have watched the film already. Um, we've been receiving a few messages from people um, about it, and so far, it's actually been all positive feedback. Yeah, I think Mark Fahey has said he has not received any negative feedback. <laughs> which is mm. fantastic right yeah i think especially the worst sort of that someone may have said was something to the effect of you know people who don't know anything about powerlifting or people outside of powerlifting will not enjoy it and to an extent i disagree i disagree actually i think i think that there is something to be taken out of it it's an intriguing film um and you know like yeah, I just think it's intriguing and it's also really intense and I think people will like that about yeah, it. Yeah, look, at the same time, I mean, that's kind of what a documentary is. It's focusing on a particular niche. Well, yes, that's true as so well. So, it's a little bit silly, but I agree. I think there's something in it for everyone. Yeah. Um, sure, I mean, people may not like powerlifting. Um, and also, I mean, it is a representation of one side of powerlifting, oh, yeah, if that makes sense. Of course, absolutely. You know, And that's, again, the whole point. It's the West Side. It's the west side. It's the west side (laughs) side. Perspective, so to speak. Exactly. Um, But yeah, that is now available on iTunes. So look, my advice is grab it if you can, watch it because, you know, if you're into powerlifting, you'll love this film. I was expecting to see more people at the cinema. Yeah, look, there was about 40 to 50 here um, at the cinema. Um, You know, it is what it is. I mean, the problem with powerlifting is, well, it's not really a problem per se, but... There's lots of people in the sport, but most people actually don't care about the sport that much. They just care about themselves more than they do the sport. Yeah, that's true. Um, you know, those that actually know, love just feel like powerlifting will watch this like film P- and will come. Powerlifter or PL on the end of your Instagram name, you probably should have been there. Yeah, I know, but it is what it is. Um, like I said, uh, well, people are selfish, man. Unless you've got a pretty reasonable excuse, obviously. Yeah. Anyway, enough of that. It's all good. The people that came enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. Yep. That and was it was much cool. appreciated. Yep. This weekend, Sunday, Paulie, the oh, next so APU this weekend meet. On the on the twelfth of May, we have the 
APU Perth Open. We have 34 registered lifters, which is fantastic because you're sort of late in the piece or late in the registration registrations process. We um, you know, we we had less than 10, and it was on, we were on shaky grounds there. But then everyone pulled through, and now we've got 34, so it's going to be fantastic. Uh, lifting starts at 10 o'clock here at the gym, at Ruchi's gym. It's free entry to spectators. There will be a food truck here, and you know, pastelicious snacks and all that type of thing that you know you can enjoy. Um, and there's also going to be some really fantastic lifting, and I think it's going to be a, a great segue into um, states, which is in July, and then obviously leading internationals which is in november absolutely there also will be the um live broadcast as per normal with the events here so if you are not able to make it you can head to livepowerlifting.tv and check all the action out live this sunday from 10 a.m and that's australian western standard time yeah look we are getting a lot of questions in regards to the qualification and the selection process for apu classic nationals um, I did put up a post on the APUWA page this week regarding that. So if you have any questions regarding that process, um, search for uh, APUWA on Facebook. And the latest post is in regard to team selection or state team selection and um, individual nomination for Classic Nationals this year. So take a look. Thank you, Paulie. I guess that's uh, sort of... Might as well get straight Let's into get the, into powerlifting. Let's get for into PTs. the nuts and bolts. So yeah. today we're going to be talking about powerlifting for PTs or powerlifting for personal trainers. Now, look, whether um, you're a personal trainer or not, there's probably something in this for you. We're going to be covering a range of topics, and most of this is going to be sort of aimed towards the personal trainer who can use powerlifting as a mechanism for their clients. Yep. And we'll get, a, get get into a bit more of that. But um, we're going to really cover sort of an introduction in terms of what powerlifting is, some of the rules and categories. And I know some of you guys know this, and obviously a lot of you listening know what powerlifting is, but just bear with us um, because this is an opportunity for us to maybe educate and reach out to some personal trainers who may not um, know all that much about it. Yeah. We're going to go through We some should probably say as well that a lot of this content um, we've actually delivered on the gym floor in other people's gyms to their personal yes. trainers. So Powerlifting for PTs actually is a seminar that we go out to gyms and run for their personal trainers. So if you are a personal trainer at a gym and would like Paul and I to come out um, and deliver the, um, the full seminar, obviously today is going to be a cut-down version, um, get in touch with us and, and perhaps we can arrange it. But today we're just going to be discussing some of the things that are easy to discuss without having us in front of you. So we're going to be going through what is powerlifting, some of the rules, categories, um, goal setting for powerlifting. So how a PT may use, um, you know, how they would goal set for, well, for it's clients. Like a, a, how to strategy or the strategies for goal setting using powerlifting for yeah, a, and we can give you some examples yeah. as well. Um, a little bit, a little bit about programming for powerlifting. So how you might periodize a client's training. Yeah. This would be sort of maybe someone's first competition. Yeah, we're going to keep it pretty Something simple. We're just going to give you the basics. Um, a little bit about some technique stuff. And I think just having a quick look at the notes we have on this, uh, we're going to be talking um, quickly, Paul. Let me just have a quick look. Um, so what really sort of follows on from programming and uh, the planning and programming stuff where we're going to talk a little bit about technical proficiency and sort of um, how you might use the spectrum of technical proficiency to help program someone and training, sort of yep, we can explain module. a little bit how we use that as well some of these slides and some of this content is also taken from our full powerlifting fundamentals course um, so if you are interested in that as well the, actually the powerlift of PTs is a fantastic sort of um, you know toe dip in the water so to speak to the full full course 
Um, and then a little bit how to have a little bit on how to get involved in the sport of powerlifting. Um, you know what comps are available and how yeah, easy maybe it is. the steps. Yeah, so just sort of that. So really, this this podcast is sort of aimed towards the personal trainer or even someone who's looking to coach themselves, yeah, novice, yeah, um, or someone who's looking to come into the sport. Obviously, Paul and I are very experienced powerlifting coaches. So if you do want an experienced powerlifting coach, there are a few in the country who do it full time. Uh, Paul and I are two of those people. So if you do actually want expert help, then obviously you can get in touch and we can you can come on board really because that's what we do. But obviously for PTs, um, you know, obviously they have clients and powerlifting can be a great tool or mechanism to help keep their clients motivated and in the game. Yeah. All right. So let's maybe kick things off, Paulie. Um, and for those for those of you out there again, you guys are going to know a lot of this. But Paul is just going to go through sort of a powerlifting one hundred and one. What what is powerlifting? Where did it come from? Um, so Paul, kick it off. Easy, easily done, easily done. So powerlifting one hundred and one. So a basic, what is powerlifting? So I'm sure most people listening to this podcast will know what powerlifting is, but there may be a few people who aren't sure. Um, and perhaps they're even a bit confused, but powerlifting is basically a strength sport consisting of three attempts at maximum weight of three lifts. Those lifts are the squat, the bench press, and the deadlift. Now, the best lift out of each of those lifts is summed together to what we call a powerlifting total. But if you speak to someone in the sport, they will just say total. They will just use the terminology total. Okay? You must complete a good attempt at all three lifts. If you fail to complete a good attempt at any lift, you basically bomb and are out of the competition. So it's very, very important that you get at least one good attempt in of each of the three lifts. And this is where really good attempt selection comes into play. Absolutely. So this is some interesting interesting information. Powerlifting did evolve from um, what a sport known as odd lifts or what used to be known as odd lifts where the deadlift was actually replaced by the bicep curl. Uh-huh. Can we go back to odd lifts? It would be amazing. So this happened in, in uh, 1966 when the deadlift came in and the bicep curls came out and they sort of rear- they, they sort of changed the order as well. Um, but bicep curls instead of deadlifts would suit me. <laughs> um, it would suit me just fine. <laughs> and, and we also talk about Olympic lifting because you know, some, you know, I, I, sort of when we first started lifting and competing in powerlifting, I'm sure this happens to many people, Someone who has, you know, sort of no idea about barbell sports, they'll, you know, you'll tell them sort of what you do and then they'll sort of try and just try and figure it out by saying, oh yeah, so you do this and, you know, motion with their hands over their head like they're doing a snatch or something. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, then you have to try and explain to them that that's an actually a different sport. That's Olympic weightlifting where they have two lifts, a snatch and a clean and jerk. It's represented in the Olympics. Powerlifting is not represented in the Olympics. Powerlifting has three lifts and then you go on to tell them what lifts they are and so on and so on. <laughs> so that is a question and we get a lot <laughs> yeah that is. there yeah. is a bit of confusion but once you explain it to people it starts to make sense yeah now within powerlifting itself there are uh, two main categories um is equipped powerlifting where lifters wear supportive equipment like squat suits and bench shirts and what we term today raw lifting and in the ipf they term it classic lifting where basically it's unequipped or without the use of supportive equipment yep so classic raw came in in 2010 and has really helped change the face of powerlifting, to it's be honest. It's really reduced the barrier to entry Big time. To the, into the sport. Yeah, there's no need anymore to have two or three squat suits and bench shirts. And more importantly, you have to actually have a high amount of technical proficiency and I mean, it's a strength. much more technical um, lift to learn. You need more people around you, you know, spotters and loaders and handlers. Yep. And like you say, just the expense of purchasing the equipment is was a major barrier. Yep. Um, 
one nice thing is that in our novice competitions that we run here, um, obviously it is a raw um, event, but you're, you're still allowed to wear your, you know, your knee sleeves and your belts and wraps, and these are really just termed protective equipment, and these are also allowed in, um, in raw lifting. Yes. Obviously, in some of the federations, the guys are, and girls are allowed to wear a knee wrap. Yep, in GBC, um, knee wrap. In, in the IPF, in Classic, um, it's basically just a, a knee sleeve, a knee apron. However, you can sleeve. wear a wrist wrap in the IPF on your deadlift. Correct. You can't can. in GPC. That's true. That's pretty that interesting. Yeah. I think you should yep. be allowed to wear the wrist yep. wrap. Yeah, I think so as well. I think that that's a yeah. I think that's quite fair. I mean, I, I can't imagine it making a signi- absolute significant difference to your deadlift in any way. Just like a, a knee sleeve wouldn't make like a significant difference to your squat. You know, I mean, I don't know about you, but. My knee sleeve that takes me 25 minutes to get into don't give me anything. <laughs> <laughs> I have to spray my knee sleeves on. I'm actually happy to admit that my knee sleeves help me a lot, and that, and that's fine by me. Look, oh, for me, Percy, I don't think they. I think they add stability and comfort, and that's where they help me, and yeah. that gives me the confidence. I mean, I can't put a number on it, but there's definitely a level of, like you say, stability and and and. I don't know. It just feels Support. good. It does. Yeah, it feels good. In fact, I've had a few clients, few of my clients recently, they were squatting without a knee sleeve. Yeah. Um, you know, and you'd get the occasional, you know, my knees sore or, you know, yeah. what have you. Um, you mentioned the use of a knee sleeve and I always say to them, look, when you put this knee sleeve on the train, you're going to wonder what you've been doing with your life. <laughs> and every time they put it on and after their first session, they always say the same thing. What have I been doing with my I life? I mean, I'll, I'll be, I'll be upfront. I do not squat without an knee sleeve. No, hell no. I mean, I don't know. It just, like I said, it just feels good. It keeps does. my knee warm, especially in when it's colder. Um, yeah, great, great support. A great supportive piece of equipment. Oh, look, also for longevity as well. I think it's a, I think it's probably one of the most important parts. Uh, the most important um, pieces of personal equipment you can own and use. I mean, the harder and the longer you can train for, the better you're going to be. You're allowed to use a knee sleeve. Put the damn thing on. Indeed. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. So that's sort of a little bit about equipped and raw. And most federations these days, equipped is sort of nowhere near as as big as raw, especially in Australia. I mean, look, even within equipped, there's, you know, you have single ply, multiply lifting. Yeah. Um, you know, single ply being, you know, a single layer of fabric and with multiply, they're basically double or tripling, tripling up on yep. the layers of fabric that they do but use. But aiming this podcast particularly to PTs, most of you PTs will be focusing on raw power lifting. They will all be focusing on raw Sorry. power lifting. Yes, pretty much all. All raw power lifting, which is pretty much all the power lifting we do here locally. There's not a lot of equipped not lifting. Not a lot of equipped lifting going on. No. But I um, hope that kind of makes sense. And then on, past that, um, within equipped and raw, you have the age and you have the weight categories. Yes. Which uh, Dan will uh, flick yeah. through as well. Absolutely. Look, there is something um, that I would like to say in that powerlifting, does, it, people are a little bit confused as to what powerlifting is. Well, yes, we know it's a three-lift sport, squat, bench, and deadlift. Your best lift from each, you get a total. But as a sport, what that means is to actually compete in powerlifting, you actually have to compete in the sport. A squat, bench, and a deadlift are fantastic exercises mm-hmm. and exercises that all of your clients or yourself should be doing in training. Or some variation of Or those. a variation of those three lifts. But you're not really powerlifting unless you actually step onto the platform and compete in competition. It's kind of like me taking a soccer ball to a park. Well, you know, I obviously use this analogy a fair bit. If I take a soccer ball to a park and just kick it around by myself, am I actually... Uh, Am I a soccer player? No. No. And you're not certainly not. not competing in soccer. You are getting 
a great workout. You're getting form of exercise. That's fantastic. Absolutely. <laughs> so to, to be honest, I mean, I I, I kind of like to say, you know, we're lifters and we can we're lifters that compete in powerlifting. <laughs> yeah. In terms of um, personal trainers, you're going to have most of the time gen gen pop clients, general population clients. And they should be doing some form of variation of those three lifts, all those three lifts in their training. Press, pu- I hope pushing so. and pulling and pressing. Um, but yeah, anyway, we're going to go on now to sort of the, some of the um, some of the basic rules and the weight categories and age categories. So the squat, bench, and deadlift all have sort of separate rules. Um, look, you can definitely down, go ahead and download the um, appropriate rule books for the different federations. Um, here locally for our novice comps, we predominantly use the GPC rulebook, bar some of the personal equipment rules such as the um, need to wear a soft suit. And we don't really worry about the soft suit too much, but you also sort of take... By all means, though, if you have one, put it on. Absolutely. Also, the belt, um, you know, we're not strict on the belt, but normally there are some sort of regulation in terms of the belt as well. But the belt is preferential. What you're Absolutely. saying is, you know, if you've got a belt with padding or Velcro, that's acceptable. Yeah, we're not going to worry too much about that. Yeah. We're going to quickly go through the referee calls. Um, we'll start with Are you the going squat. to go through the weight classes first. No, actually, we're going to go through the referee calls All right. first. We're going to do this very quickly. <laughs> um, so what happens is when you step onto the platform, the head referee who's sitting in front of you is basically responsible for guiding the flow of that lift, and they'll um, basically call out um, calls, to commands, commands, calls, yep. commands. So on the squat, there are two commands. There's a squat command and a, and a rack command. So you'll step onto the platform, unrack the bar. Once the head referee deems you are ready to squat, you'll get a squat command. He'll signal down with his hand. At that point, you are then performing your squat in and out of the hole. Once you finish your squat, the ref, head referee will call rack and signal with his hand to rack back, at which point you can then rack the bar back onto the um, either monolift or the squat stands. Yeah. One thing I would like to say... And a lot of novices or a lot of people for the first time on the platform making this this mistake is if you fail a squat, stay with the bar. Yes. Help the spotters bring the bar back into the rack. Obviously, if there's a catastrophic failure and you've fallen down, obviously, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, you know, it's stored and you just can't get it up. Yeah, you just failed the lift, yeah. Correct. Please stay stay with with the the bar. bar. Yeah. Don't dump the bar on the spotters. That's not very nice. No, not not nice at all. And in fact, we can give you a warning. For doing that <laughs> i just don't like to a warning <laughs> um there are some rules also with the three lifts in terms of basically infractions um you know squat depth bar dip full extension of the knees um, but again if you download the actual gpc rule book it will cover them in maybe a bit let's more just talk about for each lift apart from things like missing the referee course which is an yep. obvious one let's talk about that one thing in each of the lifts and in the squat it has to be depth yeah we're going to talk about depth so the depth rule is actually uh, a rule that's in high contention. But if you actually read the majority of rule books, they will say something along the lines of the hip crease must be below the top of the knee. All right? Yeah. Um, now, everyone, again, this is a rule that is in high contention. Um, but if you're not sure, you can always ask the meet director or the referees on the day. But really, hip crease below the top of the knee, to me, sounds pretty obvious. Um, that's really the main rule in terms of depth. So as you squat, your hip crease must fall below the top of your knee. All right. Our advice is put it beyond a doubt. Squat deep. If you're going to squat 50-50, and what I mean by that is you're kind of around the mark. If you're a new lifter or a novice lifter, by all means, you should be doing, you know, 
full range to the extent that you can hold stability in the bottom position and you know obviously absolutely in a position to, uh, to to push out of. But put it beyond the doubt of the referee. Don't give the referees that decision to make. Just squat way below sort of that hip crease below the top of the knee and you'll be right. Okay, let's move on to the bench press. So in the bench press, we have three commands. Again, you'll step onto the platform. It is the only lift where you can um, bring a spotter onto the platform to help hand the bar out. Although once they've handed the bar out, they must exit the platform. Otherwise, you may not get that start command. So the three commands... The caveat is, though, that's only for the novice comp. For, and, and for GPC comps. Yeah, in the, sorry. In, in, a, in an IPF sanctioned meet, you, know, you, you cannot bring your own... Correct. Onto the platform so there are some time. slight differences in rules from federation to federation. Yeah. Perhaps if we maybe we just talk about novice comps. Yeah, that's what we're talking about. Let's here, just talk really. about novice comps because that's predominantly where PTs would send their clients our initially. Novice comps. <laughs> yeah, our obviously novice comps. other people will have different. Yeah. Rules. So in the bench press, there are three commands. Um, once the lifter is handed out the bar, and the referee deems they are ready to start, so their elbows will be locked out. They'll get a start command, so the referee will scream start at which point the lifter can lower the bar to the chest. Once the re head referee deems the bar is motionless, they will get a press command. Once the bar is locked out, so full extension of the elbows, the referee will call rack, at which point the lifter can send the bar back into the rack. So yep. three commands for the bench, start, press, rack. And really, you cannot. the lifter can't really move until the, until the head ref actually gives them a command. So that's really, with the bench press, just wait for the head ref to signal yeah. the command. I think a lot of the times, lifters try and anticipate the commands. I think when you get a bit more experience, you anticipate the press command off the chest. And you can get called for that though. Absolutely, I got done myself. Yeah, you, you <laughs> get called for that. I've been you know, pinged for that before. Yeah, you're, you're, um, in a novice comp, your head can come up, but your bum has to stay on the bench between the calls as well. Yep. And your feet also must stay flat or on the ground, not flat, yeah, you can be on the balls. They can't move around and they can't be toes. in contact with the bench itself. Correct. All right. The biggest one people uh, mess up with the bench press, to be honest, is literally waiting for the commands because you're not facing the referee. I think also the other one is um, people aren't practicing that motionless bar position on the chest enough during training. And then when they get to a, a meet, they find themselves sit holding the bar on their chest for too long simply because they haven't got that element of control in their lift. Yep. They're not controlling it to their chest and stopping it on their chest. Correct. So if you're training a client, make sure you're trying to replicate the platform lift especially the three or four or five weeks out where they can sort of start to hone in the skill of decelerating the bar getting the bar to stop yes. as quickly as possible so that they get that yeah. quick press command yeah so it has to stop on your chest it's not good enough for it just to touch your chest i can have a bar touch my chest but the bar be oscillating on or my still, chest or still moving downwards correct so it's very important that during training that you teach the person or yourself, obviously, that you must decelerate the bar and the bar must stop on your chest as quickly as possible. Yep. Okay, the deadlift, Paulie. So the deadlift is quite simple um, in terms of referee commands. There's only one command, um, the down command. The lifter can step onto the platform and start their lift in their own time. Um, once they've stood up with the bar, locked their knees and hips out, they will get a down command from the head referee and the referee will signal down with their hand, at which point the lifter can then control or drop the bar down to the ground. Now here, as long as your hands are on the bar, um, you are allowed to have the bar fall under its own weight with gravity. So it, it, there's an element of control there. It's not like an eccentric control, um, but as long as your hands are on the bar all the way to the ground, 
My um, recommendation would be to keep your hands on the bar until the bar has stopped moving. Correct. And I think the biggest mistake people make in the deadlift is that is basically that lockout position. The knees fully extended, obviously the hip coming through and standing nice and tall. Yeah, look, most people make the mistake here thinking that they lean back too much. They throw their body weight back behind their base of support. Their body then has to obviously throw Compensate. weight forward, Correct. and that does that by unlocking the knees. Yep. So you need to really... All you got to do is just stand tall, lock the knees and hips out. And the way I like to describe this to my clients is if you were a puppet and you had a string attached to your head, and if I was to pull the string tight... Um, and your feet were glued to the floor. And your feet... Yeah. Boom. Then nice you would just straight. literally stand up nice and tall... Um, your hips will be locked out, your knees will be locked out, and your shoulders would be in a neutral position. That is how I like to explain it. If you lean back and throw some of your body weight back, you'll find that your knees will unlock. Otherwise, you yeah. will fall backwards. You know, you've got to hold trunk tension, squeeze your quads, and squeeze your glutes nice and hard, stand tall, and you're done. That's it. So that's kind of the basic rules for the lift. But again, if you are having clients compete, or if you are competing, it does pay to read the rule book and sort of um, get a bit of a um, head start there in terms of the rules you obviously do want to minimize the amount of mistakes you make on the day but to be honest in novice comps or with new lifters they're going to make mistakes and that's okay because that's what it's all about at the end of the day experience all right um okay we're going to go on to a little bit about weight and age categories um just so as a pt you're sort of familiar with how it works um now we're going to talk about the ipf and other do you just want to really? talk about other only because that's what we use in Okay, we won't talk about the IPF weight categories which are slightly different from um, our novice comps and GPC meets. We're just going to talk about the novice comps for now. But again, if you do um, want to look at the IPF, you can always check out their rule book. So what we have here is women and men have different weight classes. I'll just run through them all. Now, when you weigh in either 24 hours before the competition or on the same day, you basically have to be that weight and under to fall into that weight class. So, for example, yes. if I weigh 98.7, I'm in the 100 kilo weight class. I'm under 100. Yep. All right? But if you weigh 100.0, you're also in the 100 kilo class. Yeah, and if I'm 100.01, I move you're up to the, the next class, which is 110. Yep. I'll quickly go through these weight classes for you. So, women, we've got 52, 56, 60, 67 and a half, 75, 82 and a half, 90, 110, and then 110 plus. With the men, we have 60. I'm not sure which men are 60 kilos. Not many. Uh, men, we've got 60, 67 and a half, 75, 82 and a half, 90, 100, 110, 125, 140, and 140 plus. So we do have an extra weight class with the men. I think it's very important to talk about this, and that is at our novice comps, we don't actually have awards for weight class winners. No. We have the weight classes, they're all sitting there, and people are allotted into their weight classes in the weigh-in. Now, this might be something that we can involve our listeners in, Daniel. We have spoken about this, about actually removing the weigh-in for novice comps. Yes, we have spoken about this, Paulie. And maybe our listeners can give us some feedback on what they think. Um, Look, there's, there's sort of... That might be a good idea There's kind not. of two schools of thought. The first one is if... If it's a novice comp, we want to try and replicate powerlifting as best as possible, so we should introduce the weight classes and have a weigh-in. Yes. The other school of thought is, by removing the weight classes, we remove that the competition element from a novice comp, when really the novice comp is about experience and introducing people to the sport, grassroots yeah. powerlifting. And also, I mean, a lot of the time, and we've, we've spoken to meet directors around the country about this as well, you know, you, 
you run a novice comp and there'll, there'll be there, those novice lifters who are there cutting like eight kilos and ten kilos and t- for to get into a weight class for a novice comp. Yeah, that kind of makes no sense. So it's kind of removing the weight class will kind of remove that element of it. Yeah. In saying that, you know, it is powerlifting. It is nice to sort of sit in a weight class um, and get an I'm, idea of I'm, where you I'm, are. I'm definitely on the side of keeping the weight. Yeah, but me you too. know. It's it's fair to have discourse about it to discuss. Well, it. the other option is, um, is just let's slim down the weight classes. Don't have ten weight classes for men. Let's just have four or five. But then, but there's no winners anyway. So what what's the point? There's not really, really value, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, that's sort of how the weight classes work. There are also age categories in powerlifting. Although in novice comps, we don't use age categories. Yes, everyone is slotted into, or you can see what age category they're in, but the, the competition isn't ordered by um, no. age, for example. Age categories are used in um, age-specific competitions, like, for example, Masters Nationals or Junior Nationals, where um, if you're in a particular age bracket, you'll compete against other people within your age group. But just for the sake of interest um, in the GPC or even in the novice comps, we sort of you'll see what age category you fit in. Um, there are seven or six plus. Well, there's quite a few because you have all the masters ones. So we've got teen one, 13 to 15 years old. Teen two, 16 to 17. Teen three, 18 to 19. Juniors, 20 to 24. And then you've got masters from 40 onwards. And the masters are broken down into 10-year age groups. So masters one. Is sorry, five year age groups, Masters 1 is 40 to 44, Masters 2, 45 to 49, and so on. But again, in the local novice comps and all pretty much most local meets here, we don't really use the age categories, it's only sort of done at national level um, meets. Although the APU locally does include age category options as well for lifters. Yep, all right, so that's sort of covering a little bit of age categories, classes, and some basic rules. Um, now, an important one is determining a winner. Again, not that important for a novice comp, but it's worth talking about. It's definitely worth discussing. Paul, you want to take this one? So, I mean, first and foremost, um, winners are determined by total within the weight categories. So, within the weight categories, the person with the highest total is the winner. It's that Makes simple. Sense. Now, if two people have the same total, it's the person who has the um, lowest weigh in weight. Very simple. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and beyond that, um, we've never seen we've never seen a situation beyond that. For example, same total, same weigh weight. However, if it was to happen, uh, most people think it should be a draw to the death. I think we should get <laughs> swords out, and they should swords. fight to the death. No, but what actually happens is you re-weigh them uh, after the competition, and the one who weighs lighter wins. I mean, we actually talked about this the other day with someone. I can't remember who it was, but perhaps. Weighing people after the competition is the only fair way. I like this. The problem is then you don't really know the weight classes till after the competition. That is the problem. That's the problem. Yeah. Um, so you get rid of the whole competitive nature of the... Yeah, exactly. The, although what it would do is it would force people to perform their best and not necessarily perform the best to win the weight class, but just perform their best. Because those, there's, there's the difference between those two sentences. Look, we're getting onto a, a sort of a different topic, but yeah. look, one more thing I will say is, what about if you weigh them just as they're coming on to do their first squat? <laughs> Problem is they're in full gear. <laughs> and, and, but, but also, how do you organise your groups and flights and sessions it is without difficult. knowing weight classes? Exactly. So that's why the weigh yeah. are done pre-con. Obviously. Anyway, that's sort of outside the scope of what we're trying to discuss here. But you know, obviously, Paul and I go off on these tangents. But um, <laughs> hopefully, you guys find it interesting. Happy to have a discussion on it. 
Absolutely. Um, so yes, you have to win your weight class by having the biggest total in your weight class. That's the most important thing. All right. Outside of that, um, at local competitions in the GPC, we also have overall winners, and those overall winners are determined by formula. And we can let's just not we won't go into the details of formula because there's a few different formulas, um, and just, we could actually probably do a whole podcast on formulas. It should be baby formula. Um, I don't think we should just use. I think we just scrap the formulas, but we do in the best interest of you know competition and and recognizing people we use the formula at local meets to um you know for example our state championships to recognize our state champion and the form the way the formula works is in gpc is all the weight class winners um we look at their formula and the person with the highest formula wins in the ipf it's slightly different you don't have to win your weight class to win overall well actually in the technical rule they you can they do it two ways now they use the winners of the weight classes and then they use everyone so there's actually two so methods. So it could be two state champions. It's not really done at a state level. But then, then again, I mean, the, the IPF rule book is really an international level rule book because it's the IPF. How rule would you book. do it locally at an APU meet? Okay, locally at an APU APU meet, we just um, IPF formula everyone. Yep. Yep, we just do everyone. And so the person with the highest IPF formula wins, even yes. if that person maybe finished second or third in their weight class. Yes. Right. I completely disagree with that, but it is what it is. At least, as long as everyone knows the rules of engagement, then you can't compl- really complain, can you? But in terms of, um, yeah, that's just sort of a little bit about the rules. Um, it sort of gives you a bit of background on powerlifting as well uh, and how winners are determined, weight classes and stuff like that. Um, all right, Paul, let's sort of move on. Let's sort of go into the goal-setting stuff. Oh, that's... Uh, which is really the... Part um, of the, the nuts and bolts of this, uh, this podcast. And... Um, Look, one great thing about powerlifting, or one of the great aspects about powerlifting, is that is that it is a very inclusive sport, and it does promote health through strength. So this means that powerlifting can be used as a mechanism for personal trainers, um, you know, to use it sort of as an effective goal-setting strategy for clients. And we've all heard the term SMART goals, you know, specific, measurable, something that's clearly definable, realistic, and time-bound, and all powerlifting um, goals can can certainly be molded within this framework of smart of a smart goal. Obviously, goal goal setting is used to help motivate personal training clients, and powerlifting can be used as a method for setting and motivating motivating clients. So, what we have here is we've come up with sort of our own goal setting stages that we we're recommending. So, and there's sort of six of them. So, the first stage is you're setting some intermediate term goals, but they're all based purely on proficient movement of the actual power lifts. And these are all done with sub-maximal weights. So this is the, the time in training or the phases in training where you're upskilling someone, you're getting people moving correctly, perhaps getting around some issues and making sure that they're really proficient or proficient enough at the movement so they can lift safely. Correct. So this is about building that technical base. Yes. So it's hopefully providing someone with a large technical base or a large enough technical base to go on to step two where you start to actually set some absolute goals so you might for example you know set a goal to hit a uh, 140 kilo squat 100 kilo bench and 180 kilo deadlift for example and you know obviously that can be time bound um, I would suggest making these conservative absolute targets because you also want these um, goals measured using a proficient movement a proficient lift so we're not talking about like really ugly you know 
horrible technique, you know, sort of lifts. We're talking about really nice, proficient lifting. So what Paul's actually trying to say there, and Paul's probably on the little bit proper side, but just, for example, in the deadlift, you don't really want to look like a dog having a shit. That's really what he's saying. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, like, I mean, at the, the early stages of people's, you know, careers or whatever you want to call it within in powerlifting, all the emphasis emphasis should be on the technique it should be on creating that proficient proficient base absolutely that's what it should be about that's and coaches thing we do who with overreach numbers at these early stages are doing a, a major disservice to those clients absolutely i think as a coach or a personal trainer you do have a responsibility um you know to make to ensure that your clients are doing things correctly absolutely. and safely um, and you should have the, their best interests at heart. Yeah. So once someone is proficient at the movements, once they've achieved some short or in, medium or short-term to medium-term targets, the next thing might be, Dan, to actually step onto the platform in a novice powerlifting competition. I love it. Yeah. And the aim of this competition would obviously to go in there proficiently with some, you know, some decent targets. And what you want to be doing is aiming for nine good lifts out of nine lifts so nine from nine and that is the target that's the goal don't I, I mean I wouldn't even sort of concentrate too much on the total I would concentrate on achieving all the white lights exactly. making sure the lifts look good that you've performed them well you know you've obviously listened to the judges you've ticked all the technical um, boxes that they're looking for and that's a fantastic um, sort of step three I think yeah and the and the reason Paulie has brought up the whole going nine from nine, 27 white lights is because you want your clients or yourself to walk away with an incredible experience. If you have a client stepping onto that platform, getting red lights, they get very down. And, it, and if they walk Absolutely. away with a horrible experience, it might not be something they want to do again, which is not something you want as a personal trainer. You want or as a meet director or someone yeah, who promotes powerlifting. Anyone in powerlifting. None yeah. of us want to see people walk but away with a bad sport, experience. But in any sport, if you look at any sport say for example at a junior level like team sports it's all about creating positive reinforcement so they want to keep coming back to training on Tuesdays and Thursdays and coming back on Sunday and doing that month after month year after year and that's how you build athletes exactly so that's why Paul has brought up that um, that important sort of step three step four Paulie step four is basic continued strategies for goal setting uh, towards for each new competition so after your novice comp you know you might then perhaps do another novice comp or you might then decide to do a sanctioned competition and you know that this is the time now you would speak with your client or your coach or a powerlifting coach uh, people in the industry and start perhaps choosing what federation you might like to lift in you might like to lift in more than one federation you might like to choose it's up it's really up to the person it's yep. an individual's choice. And so what you would do is then you'll start setting specific targets for each meet that you go into. Now, that can have obviously this step here, which we call step four, this can happen over many, this is a, this something that can happen over many years. Well, I think it's something that doesn't stop, does yeah. it? I mean, no, it really doesn't. But I mean, sort of when we look at step five, um, well, actually step five is like first um, sanctioned powerlifting meet. But when you look at then step six, Step six in terms of goal setting, you know, if you've done six comps and so people always ask, okay, what's the next step? Well, the next step, there's a few ways to look at this. 
The next step might be for qualification into high level events, national championships, world championships, invitationals, regional championships. And also some people might like to sort of, you know, maybe chase a record. That's, you know, that obviously that could be used as a goal to, Absolutely. to chase a record. Yep. Um, so, you know, personal these, these bests are, are the best. Yeah, personal bests, whether they're personal bests or whether they're state records or national records or world records, you know, and, you know, sort of these are the steps because people are, you know, the people always ask sort of what's the next step, you know, what's exactly. the next stepping stone, you know. And so. it is important to help keep people motivated is to provide that progression. Yeah. I mean, the, the six um, steps that we've spoken about, spoken about, I mean, this happens over the, the lifetime. Yeah. This is not something that just stops, you know, this no. is something that is you know, evolves. It's an evolving process. It's definitely a con- process of continual improvement, repetition. Yeah. So uh, let's just know. go through that then again quickly. You'd start with some immediate goals, um, all about proficient movement. So making sure someone can move proficiently. Yep. You'd then set some absolute goals in that intermediate term based on very proficient movement. You'd compete in your first powerlifting competition, a novice competition. You might mm-hmm. do a few. Then you might start doing a sanctioned meet. And then post-sanctioned meet, you might start looking at qualification into high-level events or breaking records. Yep. And this is all centered around goals, goal setting. At each step of this process, there's, there's goals. Whether they're personal bests, whether the goal is to make a national championships, whether it's, whether it's to perform a deadlift to a higher level or degree of proficiency, um, goals should be set at every stage. Yep. I like that, Paulie. And Thank you very we've much. We've actually... We've ha- actually presented this to quite a few PTs in Perth um, and with some really good feedback. And I think if you just go through those sort of goal-setting stages and, like Paul said, um, use those to help y- your clients build really good SMART goals, um, then that really helps keep that client motivated, keep them t- focused on a target, you know? I mean, one thing that I want to say, and w- I think we did say this one of our pod- in one of our podcasts because someone asked us the question, but... If I were to just say one thing, I would just say, please take your time with this process. You don't have to skip a step or jump a step. Like, there's plenty of time. (laughs) There really is. is. So just go through the the motions of going through the steps and build yourself. And I mean, that's really how you build good athletes. Yep, I agree. Build yourself from the ground up. I agree. All right, Paul, I'm going to talk a little bit now about technical proficiency before you go into a little bit I'll about the plan. To you. And, to, and then Paul is going to talk a little bit about sort of planning and programming and how, you, as a personal trainer, you might plan something very basic. Yeah, we'll keep it yeah. basic. Um, but I'm going to talk a little bit about technical proficiency um, before talks about that. And technical proficiency is a very important subject, all right? Um, now, when we look at technical proficiency, we have this scale of absolute to technical failure. All right, and what we find is beginners normally ha- fail from a technical standpoint. Something breaks down in their movement, and technically they fail. All right, as a lifter becomes more experienced, becomes more proficient, has a high level of mastery in the movement, what we find is they tend to then start to break down or fail from an absolute perspective. So that basically what that's saying is they're just not strong enough to lift the weight on the bar. And that's kind of the obviously it's, it, there's a, it's a spectrum. It's not a clear black and white. It's kind of a, a grey scale. But beginners tend to fail from a technical perspective, which is why it's important to spend a lot of time with a beginner up front, working on that technical base, developing that high level of mastery, creating a very proficient lifter. At the end of the day, as a coach or even as a personal trainer, your goal is to make better lifters, create better lifters. 
Yep. You want them to be so good at lifting. It helps minimize injury. It helps facilitate good progression in training. Um, helps keep their confidence up. Because at the end of the day, what happens is someone gets injured and they stall and they have to work around. Normally, what you find is they do fall into sort of that, you know, depressed state where they're not progressing and they're always having to work around injuries. So the idea is to create highly technical, high level of mastery lifters so that they start to move up that spectrum to advanced where they start to fail more from an absolute perspective. Yeah. Hope that makes sense. Um, the next part of technical profi- proficiency um, is what Paul and I like to call the Goldilocks zone. It's kind of hard to explain, and we normally show a graph that we've built to, sh- to demonstrate this, but really the Goldilocks zone is the bandwidth is a bandwidth of percentage, sort of an intensity range, where you can lift to a high degree of technical proficiency. And this is the, the Goldilocks zone is where you should be spending most of your time in but, training. But it's also the range in which... Um, obviously, you benefit within as yes, a, of course, concept, with, with strength training, basically. Correct. So Paul I mean, and yeah. I kind of don't start this until about fifty percent. Correct. Anything yeah. under fifty percent, we classify warm up, and you should be able to perform your three main lifts to a high degree of technical proficiency under fifty percent. If not, something wrong. Yeah, something wrong. All right. So normally, between fifty percent and X, it could be seventy percent, it could be eighty percent, and that that X will depend on the proficiency of that lifter. If you're a beginner, that X could be very low. Maybe you're very proficient between 50% and 70%. If you're an advanced lifter, that could be between 50% and 95% or 99%. But really, that Goldilocks zone is where your clients should be spending most of their training. And the reason is is that training is all about repetition. It's about building skill. It's about compounding strength on top of function. If in training you find that you're always failing or you're out of position or you're breaking down technically, all you're doing is reinforcing bad movement and teaching yourself that failing technically is actually okay. When To be honest, it's not. In the majority of your training, you should be te- highly technical proficient. Obviously, again, it's not black and white. It is a gray, it's a gray scale. And we do sort of get to a point, and every coach will be a bit different. They'll all sort of have a point where they, you know, there'll be a sort of... Um, a tipping I, point. Yeah, a tipping point <laughs> where the coach will deem their technical, the technical nature of their lift unacceptable. Yeah. All right? Um, so as a personal trainer or coach, you should always be getting your clients to spend most of their time in that Goldilocks zone of intensity where their technical proficiency is very high, but also they're working hard enough to induce the right stress... Um, or you're giving them enough dose and there's enough stress induced into their system to then obviously facilitate um, growth. Yeah. All right. So that's what the Goldilocks zone is all about. Um, It's obviously very quite easy to test actually. If someone has, for example, a movement impairment and they can't can't perform a, a lift with, say, an empty or an empty barbell then obviously something's wrong you have to really start from the ground up in, in that situation we in terms of the sport of powerlifting rehab. we would call that rehab that's rehabilitation if someone yes. can't perform a movement with a bar pull on like just that's just that's rehab, rehab really yeah. how do we get s- someone from not being able to do it to actually perform a movement with an empty bar yeah. which is the minimum requirement in powerlifting yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, but, but if, if your client has pretty good movement it's quite easy to test their end of range, Goldilocks end range. At the beginning of a mesocycle, you start on 50%, you might add 10% and then 5% every week, and then you'll find out sort of in what range or what maximum range they can work safely in 
while still accumulating strength and, and all those other uh, physical qualities. Yes. Now, this isn't to say that we don't venture outside of that of top end range. Obviously, as we approach competition, the weight has to get heavier on the bar. And obviously, we do take more risks, especially in that last three or four weeks, because at the end of the day, this is well, a sport about lifting the most weight. But hopefully, with the amount of repetition in that really nice um, Goldilocks zone, once you venture out of that zone, Correct. the lifts start looking much, much better. That's right. So what Paul's saying is because we spend so much time in the Goldilocks zone, we're compounding strength on top of a function, we're building good quality movement, we're building good habits, we're becoming, autonom- we're becoming closer and closer to autonomy. So when we get into those high percentages, when we're preparing for comp, we can fall back and rely on all the work that we've done previously to yes. get us to that point. Yes. Um, and remember, sort of when we start hitting sort of that last three or four weeks, all we're doing is... is preparing someone to lift maximum weight it's, it then becomes an expression of the strength that we have helped build during our general prep phases our volume blocks our accumulation blocks whatever you like to call them our off season for yep. example um, competing is really an expression of the work that we have done previously yes alright um, and that's again I mentioned that in the last podcast that's Thomas Lee says that and I like the way he says it I like it's an expression of the strength that you've built you don't really get strong in that last three or four weeks no all you're doing is preparing your body to move heavy weight because grinding and lifting heavy weight, heavy weight, maximum weight, is a skill in itself, and that is kind all comes together sort of in that last three or four weeks before a competition. Cool. All right. That's a little bit, little bit about technical proficiency. Um, Paul now is going to go shoot off and talk a little bit about planning and programming. So how you might plan and pro- program uh, yeah, so a lifter. This is going to be basically for maybe a first-time novice competitor at a novice competition that a personal trainer might bring one of their clients through. Now, generally, the phases of um, the phases of, of programming that we use is a is a general prep phase, then a specific pep preparatory phase, and then in sort of the last five weeks, roughly, um, we have a pre-competitive phase. Now, I'm going to skip the general preparatory phase because that would simply just be the, the normal training you would do with your client. So we're just talking about novice clients, you know, not specific to powerlifting. They want to enter their first meet, you know, to give it a go. So probably something like the one I've got in front of me now is something like uh, sort of seven to eight weeks out. So you might, uh, what I we would recommend is something like four to six weeks of what we, we would call specific preparation. So what you would, you would be doing in this period is you would be practicing the main lifts quite a lot, so quite a high frequency. So, you know, you might squat someone two to three times a week, um, bench someone a few times a week, and sort of maybe deadlift sort of once a week. Yep. Generally, we don't, generally, generally, we don't deadlift more than once a week. So you're, you're, you're getting lots and lots of practice with the main lifts. And you can use um, all the training principles that go along with this. So you can obviously progress someone and overload someone through, the, um, through that mesocycle or through that training block. So increasing their intensity, um, for example, over that time, you know, increasing the weight on the bar and so on. So you're getting lots of, lots of really, really good practice. In that last four or five weeks, um, this is generally, generally what people call the taper week or the realization week and this is where Dan's um, you know saying you know th- this last four or five weeks is, is where you begin to express that um, strength or that you've accumulated over that GPP and SPP phases now what w- we would recommend is m- perhaps keeping someone sort of in the five to two rep range in this sort of period and for novices generally what we like to do is 
in the last week or what we have done in the past that we have found works very well for novice lifters or general lifters is in that last week before the competition on the Monday in the gym work that person or your client um, up to their openers and yep. this way you're actually um, the clients you know gaining a lot of confidence they're confident that they can hit their openers on this on the Sunday um, because generally our novice comps are on Sunday so your client um, hopefully confidence levels are very very high and also it's an opportunity for you to perhaps readjust attempt selection based off what's happening on that Monday so yeah, I think this is great a idea. We we really actually use that quite a, a lot, yeah. especially with our own. When Paul and I first started, we pretty much did exactly this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in fact, for our first comp, we did this. Yep. Yeah, and I think it's still a pretty good idea today. Now, this is for first-time novice lifters. We do not do this for like intermediate to advanced. No lifters. chance. Yeah. No, no. It's I ain't squatting yeah. two sixty or two eighty on a Monday night. Not happening. <laughs> so over the course of the weeks leading into the competition, you do want to have a reduction in total training volumes and an yep. increase in training intensities okay yeah, so, so we're shedding load here Paulie so we're shedding load and ho hopefully we're increasing our optimal coming closer to optimal performance or increasing performance over this period as our fatigues our fatigue levels shed off and then hopefully on the day we we'll feel a million with, with bucks your timings right you're at your optimal or your peak performance and you hit your best lifts that you've ever hit yep. yeah look in saying this it is easier to keep a beginner at a peak level of performance for longer than it is a very very advanced it is, lifter of course yeah. and and while we're talking about this pro planning and programming honestly for a begin for a beginner you don't really have to go through a full formal no no specific like, I mean, I've just given phase. someone say seven to eight weeks basically the key points are practice these lifts a lot yep and in the last three or four weeks make sure you have a small little taper yep. and then in the last week make sure you practice your openers that's it yep that, it's really that simple keep it simple yep Absolutely, yep. keep it simple. Obviously, yep. with the more intermediate and more advanced you get, Paul and I obviously do a lot of work with our clients with this because we, things we change work with a lot of lifters. We do have case. to get a little bit more granular and a little bit, a little bit more organized in terms of how we prepare some of the competition. Now, what's generally missed as well in um, sort of the planning process is what happens after the competition. I mean, our general recommendation is um, one week of rest after the competition. Now that doesn't mean like just stay at home with the remote control and watch TV. You know, active recovery protocols are fine. You know, like normal daily activity is fine. Even swimming and walking and yeah, you know, even if you have to come into the gym, do fifty to sixty percent, keep it light, like extremely light, extremely yeah, light, yeah, extremely light. Second week would be the reintroduction into training. It won't be at sort of normal loads or yeah. volumes. But it'll be it'll be sort of half paced if you like. Yeah, you might do fifty percent of the previous volume block. Yeah, top of load fifty something, something like that. Anyway, it's sort of like let's just call it for the sake of simplification. Sort of that second week after the comp will be like a half paced training. Yeah, and then the third week, boom, you're back into full training, and then hopefully the whole process starts again as you enter a new set of rinse um, and repeat. And obviously, every time you do yeah. a comp with someone, you will learn sort of the things that work for them that didn't work, how much load they can handle, how close to competition they can handle load, how far away from competition they can handle load, their recovery ability, yes. how they perform on the day. And once you learn that about people, then you can start to refine the process a bit more. Now, just quickly before we, we're coming to the 55-minute mark here. Damn. But just quickly, one thing we get asked a lot as well for novices like about attempt selection. Yeah, good one. So, I've, I mean, I've got some notes here, and this is what we present in our course. Um, so if obviously... You, the person's one RM on their lifts are, are known to a 
you know, a fairly high degree of accuracy, a first attempt should be somewhere around the 93% mark. Somewhere around 93%. Yep. Second attempt, around the 98%. And then a third attempt, between the 100 and 103%. Like a little PB. Something like Try that. Try and get a little PB. Something like That's that. That's assuming you pretty much know that person's one rep max. Again, I mean, these are just... Recommended. I mean, obviously, yeah. this can change by up to five percent in either direction. Yeah. Now, if you're a personal trainer who has a client, we, we recommend opening them on something um, where they can easily triple. I, I'm, I totally agree with that. Um, and that and that would normally somewhere you know be around the eighty-eight to ninety percent anyway. But, I mean, generally for a beginner, even up to ninety-three, that's probably true. Even up to what you believe their ninety-three percent would be. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, now. When you um, go into the weigh-in, your only your opening attempts need to be recorded. You don't you you don't determine your seconds and thirds in the weigh-in. You determine that on the day after your lifts. So that happens after you perform your lifts. I mean, you should have a fair idea. You should have a plan. But yes, you don't. Yeah, but what I mean is they don't have to record those lifts in the weigh-in. No. Now, um, during this um, sort of five to eight week period that we're talking about um, pre-competition, it's very important that. Um, you train specifically, so this means all lifts to competition standards, um, preferably with referee commands if you can. A lot of our guys will just sort of like manifest the referee Go commands in, in their, their mind type thing. Um, but certainly in the last two to three weeks, it's very, very handy, especially for someone new where you want to reinforce those commands. In that last two to three weeks, it's extremely important to use actual audible referee commands. Um, Especially for a beginner, a, yeah. a newbie, someone who yeah. hasn't competed before. Yeah, just, I mean, because, I mean, when you do your first competition, it's, it's I mean, it's the worst way to fail. Yeah. Missing a command. I mean, and it's pretty easy to resolve. Just yeah. practice it. Practice. <laughs> drill drill, it, into drill it into Drill it into your head. Drill yeah. it into their heads. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Right. So hopefully that helps you guys especially the uh, PTs out there who have clients who may want to get involved in powerlifting or you may want to use powerlifting as a mechanism to keep your clients motivated and progressing and hitting their own personal goals. Um, look, how do you get involved in powerlifting? Honestly, it's very easy. If you check out our Facebook page um, and go to events or if you go to the website in the top menu, there's a calendar of events. We have heaps of events during the year it's this in year. The, it's, it's, in the, it's in the powerlifting sub-menu. Yep. yep. Um, we have three or four novice meets a year. Yep. Um, Unfortunately... The only one left this year is October. October. Um, no, there actually is spots available in the Ladies of Lifting okay, yep. Novice Comp in August. So if you have any female clients, they can get involved in that one. Um, and all that's required is um, to register is pay your entry fee, which is $75, and you're in. It's pretty straightforward. If you do have any questions, though, feel free to contact us or get in touch with us on Facebook or Instagram or by email. Um, but there are so many opportunities to compete. There are other, um, other meets as well in WA that are, um, that are available. Um, we also, Paul and I also run our own powerlifting courses, which we've been running now for almost four years. So the first one of those courses, which we highly recommend, is the powerlifting fundamentals course. We've had almost 200 people complete this course yeah, um, over so the last awesome. three to four years. It's amazing. Um, it's a full weekend. It's two thank days. Thank you to all those people. Yep, it's it's a fantastic. It's lots of fun. It's two days right here at Uji's Gym. There's the theory component. There's practical. Um, you know, it's three ninety nine for the weekend for two days massive amount of value lots of fun you get lots out of it and then following on from that we also released last year our new powerlifting advanced and competition, competition. training yes. course and in that course uh, look it's just it's the great thing about the the second course is that there's a lot of 
not only new content but original content I think yes. which I like as well um, yeah it's good it's yeah, really yeah. good um, look outside of that we also have this, this the powerlifting for PT seminar which we go out to um, per, uh, to gyms and and go through this with personal trainers we haven't trainers. actually done one in a while so I would love if anyone's listening get us out, out to your gym we love going to gyms and talking about powerlifting oh yeah of course look introducing new people to the sport is um, a big part of what we do the, um, growing the sport from the grassroots is a massive part of helping the sport continue to grow and introduce new blood into the sport because you know every now and again someone amazing crops up out of nowhere um, and it's awesome to try and and find new talent really yeah it's, emerging talent it's, it's 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 yeah it's like almost like doing a lucky dip yeah or, you know, almost like, yeah now in terms of coaching paul and i do coach a lot of a lot of lifters we actually also coach a lot of personal trainers um, for a few reasons one is obviously they want someone to manage their training and they want an expert powerlifting coach and the other reason a lot of people do the, a lot of people use us because it helps them educate themselves as well yeah um, they see how we coach them they see how we prepare them and, and a lot of those PTs will then use some of that newfound knowledge um, with their own clients yep as well so we do work actually with a lot of personal trainers as well now this is slightly off topic but we do have we do have leeway here but on Last Saturday, I was at the ICN Super Here Show. Here we go, this guy. <laughs> hey, bodybuilder time. Nah, I, th- I look. I thought it was really you know because you know obviously we've been to many powerlifting meets. It was yeah. my first ever bodybuilding yeah. um, Super Show. Um, it was actually intriguing. I found it intriguing. It was like I was in the war. You know, I was at the back. Um, let's, let's call it the warm up room mm-hmm. if you like. Um, but no one's really warming up if if you know what I mean. It wasn't as a, as intense as I thought it would be, like back there. Oh, really? Like you know, in the powerlifting, like in the warm-up room. Yeah, like, yeah it's yeah. intense. Yeah, it's in. It's more intense than the platform. Yeah, because everyone's time in limited, some respects, and yeah. there's multiple people, and you know, many things going on. It, it, I didn't find that it was intense really at all. Oh, that's so good. So I, ju- I just found it really interesting, but I did really enjoy myself. Um, and and there's a lot to be learned from that. I thought it was a really intriguing. Um, event to go to yeah. and it really ran like clockwork and I, I thought they did a great so job so what Paul is actually trying to get out here is that next year he plans on competing in the ICN in an ICN comp <laughs> locally well I mean that's not what I was trying to get I, I was really talking about events and you know <laughs> maybe some of the, the, the differences um, between say a bodybuilding competition or event or whatever and a powerlifting meet yeah well even though a lot even though we both work in the gym they're very very different sports very different oh, sports. Oh, jeez. I mean... Even the modality yeah. of training is quite different. It's so different. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah look, man, we've actually... Paulie, we're over amazing. an hour here, dude. Where? An hour and one minute. Oh, well. So, look, that pretty much wraps it up. Get in contact with us. Hopefully, that's helped you guys. Um, our next episode, episode nine, is going to be our listener Q&A. So, recently, or last week, we put out a Q&A, a, a request for questions. Um, and basically, we're going to cover a handful of those questions in the next episode which will be next week um, some interesting questions in there Paulie there were some very interesting um, questions you know and we'll I get thought to Yanni them. had a lot of interesting questions yeah he does have a lot of interesting questions um, <laughs> look we'll get to some of those questions next week um, but if you do have more questions feel free to let us know and we can try and slot them in but the idea is to get some questions from our listeners um, and then provide our answers through the podcast Absolutely. And give you guys a bit of a shout out as well. But um, we'll leave it at that. 
That's it. Lots to do today, Paulie. We'll get this podcast out. Yep. We'll speak to you guys later. Ciao. Thanks for listening to the Ruchi Strengthcast. Be sure to subscribe to join us on the journey and for more information, visit ruchisgym.com.